Well, it's nice to be back again um, today. I'm going to do something which is a little strange, and uh, that is my plan is to um, uh, start a little series, if I can, on the book of Philemon. I'm not sure when I'll get to the next chapter of the series, but uh, when I come back again, at least you'll know what I'll be speaking on. So I probably should have started this last week, but... um, I didn't, so uh, here we are looking at it this week. So I'd like to look at the little book of Philemon, um, tucked away there towards the end of the New Testament. And uh, just one chapter, and I want to look at it over three sessions, and uh, this morning is the first of them, Philemon chapter 1, because there is only one chapter. So Philemon 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Just a prayer. Lord, as we turn our thoughts to this little epistle, little letter written by Paul, probably from a prison cell, um, to a Christian who had been hurt, Uh, by the behaviour of another person Paul writes to him to ask him to consider forgiveness as an option we pray Lord that you'll encourage us and challenge us and inspire us um, to be the kind of people that uh, Philemon clearly was so help us today as we wrestle with the truth of your word and forgive us Lord um, for those occasions, even in this past week, when we've been so different from what we read about here. And we pray that sincerely, not lightly. We pray that sincerely in the Saviour's name. Amen. So the little letter to Philemon is one of the great treasures of the New Testament. Apart from 2nd and 3rd John, it is the shortest letter in the New Testament. It was written uh, not so much to a church family. Colossians will accompany Philemon. Um, This letter, Philemon, uh, was written to a member, it would appear, of the church in Colossae, a gentleman by the name of Philemon. So it was written not to a church, but to an individual. 
Paul is writing to Philemon from Rome where he is under house arrest. So at the end of his missionary uh, career he had been arrested in Jerusalem. He had spent two years in prison in a place called Caesarea Maritima which is right at the coast. Uh, And then he had been dispatched for trial under Caesar. And uh, he is under house arrest in Rome it would appear. And he is writing to the church at Colossae. And he is writing to one individual within the church whose name is Philemon. So although Paul is under house arrest in Rome, so he's uh, he's under arrest, his movements have been restricted, he is probably uh, being chaperoned by a soldier, a Roman soldier, but he does have a measure of freedom. And uh, he can write, he can entertain guests, Uh, Timothy and others can uh, come and listen to what he has to say. He has the ability to write letters to some of the churches and to individuals that he's concerned about. And of course, we have a whole series of those letters in the New Testament, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and so on. Um, Philemon is the individual then that this letter uh, is written to. Philemon appears to have had a wife called Aphia, um, and they appear to have a son called Archippus, who is uh, mentioned as a member of their household. Um, Whether he was their son or whether he was uh, a servant, I am not 100% sure. We'll find out when we get to heaven. He was certainly an enthusiastic Christian who was bold in his faith and he was committed uh, to the Lord Jesus, whoever this individual called Archippus was. And I'm going to work on the premise that uh, Aphia was uh, Philemon's wife. And Archippus was their son. When you get to heaven and you find out that that wasn't the case, please forgive me. Um, But that's the assumption that I am going to work from um, in this little series. So Philemon lived in Colossae. He seems to have been a well-to-do gentleman who owned a number of slaves. Uh, He must have had a large house because we know that the church in Colossae met in his home. And here he makes uh, reference to the church that meets in his home. Uh, Presumably uh, that means that his wife and he uh, hosted the meetings of the church, whether on Sunday mornings or whether it was prayer meetings at various other points during the week. I I don't know what meetings took place fully in the first century, but whatever meetings of the church took place, then uh, Philemon and his wife and and probably his son had a home which was big enough to facilitate um, that event taking place. Philemon has had a slave called Onesimus. Uh, We can gather from what is said in verse 11 of Philemon that he wasn't a very good slave. Um, He is described as useless. You can dress that up whatever way you like. If your wife tells you that you're useless, you're pretty much useless. Um, And there's no fancy way to put that. He is described as useless. I think that maybe is a hint that he was maybe lazy, maybe awkward. He was maybe a little bit dishonest. And when the opportunity came for him to do a runner, he took off like a rocket with a sizable chunk of his master's wealth, which he swiped on his way out through the door, never to return again. 
Onesimus, uh, Philemon's slave, went to the great city of Rome. Uh, He was intent on losing himself in the faceless crowds of the imperial city. Um, He went to to become part of the underworld. Uh, He would need to live now the life of a fugitive, having run away from his master. Because if he was caught as a runaway slave, he would have been in serious, serious trouble. So now he is living in the underworld. Uh, keeping his true identity always hidden from everyone that he met, just living a life basically of a runaway. When he was in Rome, and I don't know how long he was in Rome, but when he arrived in Rome, sometime afterwards he bumped into the Apostle Paul. And again, we're not told how that happened, and I am not sure how it happened. Maybe he grew tired of a life, uh, living a life on the run, and having to constantly look over his shoulder, wondering, will this guy work out who I really am? Will this woman figure out that I'm a runaway slave? Maybe he just grew grew weary, weary, weary of living a life constantly on the run. Maybe he heard that Paul was in prison in Rome and decided to look him up, knowing that his former master and Paul were friends. And uh, maybe he decided that he would go and talk to Paul and maybe Paul could help him out of this mess that he had got himself into as a fugitive and as a runaway slave. Maybe he was witnessed to on the streets of Rome by some of Paul's team. And maybe somehow some of Paul's team, maybe Timothy, maybe some of the others that were part of the team, led him to faith in Christ. The truth is, I don't really know the answer. But what I do know is that it was no coincidence that uh, his paths and the paths of the Apostle Paul crossed, converged. That somewhere on the journey of life he bumped into the great Apostle Paul. And that rather than being arrested by the Roman authorities as a runaway slave, he was arrested by the grace of God and forgiven for every sin that he had ever committed. That's not a coincidence. That's a divine appointment. And God was at work in the story of Onesimus' life. Um, Now that he has become a Christian, uh, somehow in the city of Rome, it becomes blatantly clear both to him and to his now mentor, the Apostle Paul, that there are a number of things that will need to be put right. And getting back on the right side of the law was right at the top of the list of priorities. When you become a Christian and you want to go God's way and not your own way, things have to change. And certain priorities begin uh, to look a little bit different in your life. And and one of the priorities in in Onesimus' life was to get on the right side of the law. Of course, he was in big trouble. He had been guilty of two sins, two crimes against the state, it would appear. One was he was a runaway slave. The other was that he was a thief. If he had been caught, he could have been branded with the letter F on his forehead or the letter CV, F for fugitive and CV for the Latin, which means beware of the thief. They would have branded him if they had caught him, either with F or CV on his forehead or on some part of other part of his body which was visible. That was the best scenario. The worst scenario is that he would have lost his head. 
And he enlisted the help of the Apostle Paul, who wrote this brilliant little letter and sent him back with Tychicus, one of Paul's team, to Colossae to face the music and to face his master. Now it's not difficult to understand why Paul got involved in this saga Both of these men, both Philemon and Onesimus, owed their lives to Paul. It appears that he was instrumental in leading both of them somehow to faith in Christ. And so both of them felt indebted to Paul. And he was the best person placed to bring these two people together. And if the gospel message is a message of reconciliation, which we believe it is, then it had better be effective in bringing slave and master together in the same way that it had brought Jew and Gentile together it had better be seen to be real and effective in bringing these two estranged Christians together because if it doesn't it's just hollow empty talk this is a letter that calls on Philemon then to forgive Onesimus and to receive him back as a brother Not just as a slave, but as a brother. It's no casual note. It's carefully crafted. It's sensitively worded. Every sentence is thoroughly thought through in this little letter. There's both wit and irony at play throughout the letter. It's just a masterpiece, a literary masterpiece uh, in many senses on the subject of reconciliation. There are few other passages of scripture as relevant as this in the context of the Christian church. Because the Christian church is a place where people harbor resentment and unforgiveness. Not just for weeks, not just for months, but for years. So this little letter is not long ago and it's not far away. The truth is it couldn't be more up to date than the front pages of yesterday evening's newspaper. Uh, If the church needs to hear anything, it needs to hear this little letter appealing for forgiveness and reconciliation amongst its members. Because the truth is, and I was the pastor of uh, two churches uh, over the period of 20 years, and I know from experience that there were individuals in in those churches who couldn't speak to other individuals in those churches, and who sat on opposite sides of the church or on opposite sides of the balcony to make sure that their paths would never cross. And we need to be honest and admit that we need to hear this letter from the Apostle Paul which is pleading for forgiveness amongst Christians and reconciliation where there has been estrangement. Now, I've just got two uh, quick points that I want to pull out of this text that we've read. Uh, don't, be, uh, d- don't, don't be too encouraged by that. Um, there are about 20 sub-points under each of these two. Um, not quite 20, but there are a few things. And if, if we are running out of time, I'll just take the first one and I'll pick up the second one next time. But first of all, let's just look at the pleasantries that uh, we have here in, in, in this letter. The pleasantries, or... The initial remarks from the Apostle Paul as he opens up this letter. So, first of all, the author, he identifies himself, he describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul, he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is the only New Testament letter where Paul identifies himself, or no, no, let me rephrase that, introduces himself as a prisoner. Now, he could have flaunted his apostolic authority. 
And he had every right to do so. He could have written to Philemon and said, I am an apostle, you know, and you are just a church member. And I am commanding you as an apostle to forgive Onesimus and to accept him back without question. Not just as a slave, but as a brother. Oh yes, he could have waved the apostolic flag. But he's not interested in securing forced reconciliation. Because forced reconciliation never works. He wants to secure a genuine coming together of two hearts. And there's a lesson in that for all of us, especially those who are a little bit forceful and want to force people to see things the way we see them or do things the way that we do them. We need to be a little bit less, I am an apostle, and a little bit more winsome and a little bit more appealing and a little bit more humble and a little bit more prepared to say, I'm just a prisoner in a cell in Rome. Writing to you as a brother. Sir Henry Stanley once bumped into David Livingston in Central Africa. And after spending some time in Livingston's company, this is what Henry Stanley said. He said, if I had been with him any longer, I would have been compelled to be a Christian. And he never spoke to me about it at all. If I'd spent any longer with him, I would have been compelled to become a Christian. And he never spoke to me about it at all. There's a winsomeness about the Apostle Paul in the way that he opens up this letter. The second thing that Paul tells us is not only is he a prisoner, but he tells us that Timothy is with him. And he describes Timothy as our dear brother. It's interesting that Timothy isn't described as a prisoner. Uh, Although he's with Paul, he's not a prisoner, it would appear. He's not in chains. He is described here simply as a brother. And that just reminds us of the fact that this Christian thing is a family thing. And you can choose your friends, as I tell my siblings, but unfortunately you are stuck with your family. And, And that's such a pain, isn't it? Because we would love to be able to just choose who we did church with, wouldn't we? But we don't get to choose who God lets into his family. We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. God does the choosing. We do the accepting. We might look at each other from time to time and say, who let you in? I wouldn't have let you in. The answer to the question is, God let me in. And God let you in. And God had brought Paul and Timothy and Philemon and Onesimus and Aphia and Archippus and all of the other members of the first century church together and made them into a family. Whether they liked it or not, they were brothers and sisters in Christ. They had the same heavenly father. And they ought to live out the reality of family in the way that Paul does here as he describes this young boy, Timothy, who was one of his most trusted colleagues in, in missionary work. It's a great thing, isn't it, to be part of the family of God. And it's a great thing, I think, that we don't get to choose who is in and who is out. I think it's fantastic that that's God's domain, not ours. We simply view ourselves as brothers and sisters and get on with living out the reality of family uh, in our relationships with each other. 
I'm constantly reminding my own children um, over the last year in particular two of my children have been sort of sparking off each other a little bit and I'm constantly reminding them you're a family you've got the same parents the same blood runs through your veins you've got to love each other care for each other stop fighting with each other we're a family let's live as a family constantly and, and if anybody needs to shout that uh, somebody somewhere needs to begin to shout that in the Christian church because the truth is we're not very good at living as brothers and sisters I have a younger brother um, uh, he's 10 years younger than me I have only one brother and I've got two sisters but I have a younger brother and uh, he plays a little bit of rugby uh, he's got a neck like a tree trunk and uh, He's a big guy, but I know that he's always there for me. And I hope that he always knows that I'm there for him. And, and, and that's how it should be in a family, isn't it? That's how it should be in a family. And how much more so in the family of faith. Well, here's the second thing. Let's talk a little bit not about the author, but the recipient. He, the recipient is described as Philemon. And Philemon is further described as my dear friend and fellow worker my dear friend and fellow worker it seems that Philemon knew Paul personally unlike most of the other people in the church at Colossae whom Paul had never met before Colossians 2.1 he had never met the Colossians but he knows Philemon personally it seems that Paul had led Philemon uh, to the Lord somehow. I don't know how that transpired but you have a hint of this a little bit later in the letter I, I, my sneaking suspicion is that Philemon was some sort of businessman living in, in the Lycus Valley in Colossae and that he would make his business trips out to the coast to buy and sell wares and when he was in Ephesus he bumped into Paul, became a Christian and took the gospel back to Colossae with him that's my best shot at how things unfolded but Paul here describes him as his friend they had forged a really close friendship over the years friends are great things aren't they people who are there for you through thick and thin people who will encourage you people that you can phone up and say will you pray for me I'm going through this people that will say things to you that you don't necessarily want to hear but you know you need to hear I've got people like that in my life who will say things to me that I don't want to hear but I need to hear people that won't sweet coat the truth but will tell me what I need to know I've got people like that in my, in my life and it's a great thing to have friends who have your best interest at heart and Paul describes Philemon in such terms he says he is my dear friend I hear lots of people complaining about the church not being very friendly and it's one thing to have friends isn't it it's a great thing to have friends but what about being a friend what about being a friend to someone? Couldn't you phone someone this week and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Couldn't you take an interest in someone and say, why don't you come around for a cup of coffee? I'd love to chat to you and get to know you a bit better. We always talk about our church isn't very friendly, but we ourselves are not prepared to be friendly. He also describes him as his fellow worker. I, I think that's significant. Fellow worker. Here's Paul. He's in prison in Rome. He's a thousand miles removed from Colossae. 
a thousand miles removed from Colossae and he describes this boy, this man rather Philemon, as his fellow worker. He's one of the elders in the church at Colossae, probably one of the leaders. Um, He's involved in serving the Lord in his community as a Christian businessman. Uh, He's uh, involved in the advance of the gospel where he lives. And above and among all the other things that he's involved in, he is a worker in the work of the gospel. And Paul is just thrilled as he thinks about Philemon, a fellow worker. Sometimes in church life, don't you feel as if it's very parochial? And the only thing that we think about is our own little corner. And we, th- we forget about the fact that we're part of a worldwide church. And that there are servants doing exactly the same as what you're doing here in Moodysburn, down the road in Newton Grange and in various other places and across the world. And it's a great thing to be part of a world church. And I I want to encourage you to take an interest not just in what is happening here in Moodysburn, but to take an interest in what is happening in the work of God everywhere. Because that's what Paul does. and he, he views this man as his fellow worker. We're in the same work. We're advancing the same gospel. We're brothers in the same family. We're in this together. Even though they're separated by a thousand miles. And then you've got... Uh, Aphia and Archippus. And I just let me say a couple of things about them. This letter is addressed to uh, Aphia also I, and Archippus. Um, he's part of their household. If Onesimus is going to be welcomed back into Colossae, he will need to be welcomed back not just by Philemon, but also by Philemon's wife and by Philemon's son. What if Philemon forgave Onesimus and his wife and son still bore a grudge against him? What kind of a scenario would that be? Disastrous. I think that's why Paul writes to Philemon and mentions Aphia and Archippus. Because he wants Philemon's wife and Philemon's son to be in on the forgiveness that will need to be extended to Onesimus. It's a tragic thing, I think, when a husband and wife feed off each other in their entrenched bitterness and unforgiveness. Paul is addressing Philemon's wife because he wants them to feed off each other in reaching out in forgiveness and reconciliation. He wants Aphia to encourage her husband Philemon. Yes, this little rascal ripped us off. But he's become a Christian and God has forgiven him. And we'll need to forgive him. This is a joint effort. He wants this couple to feed off each other in going in a Godward direction, not in a godless direction. And and that needs to be the case in all of our marriages, doesn't it? We need to feed off each other to go in the right direction. He also addresses Philemon's church. I, I think that's hugely significant. He doesn't just address the letter to Philemon. Now, if somebody was writing from far away to this church and they wanted to talk to Graham or someone else, Bill or someone else, would, would they would they would they include the entire church in the letter? Why does Paul do that? Is he trying to coerce Philemon to do something? So the whole church knows now, Philemon, you better do it. Because they'll all know that you didn't do it. 
I, I don't think that's what Paul is trying to do. I don't think that's the kind of person Paul is that he would manipulate the situation, tell the whole church. I, I think Christians in the first century just lived out their lives as a Christian family. I think they did life together, not just church for one hour on a Sunday. I think they, they sold their possessions. And gave the money to the leaders of the church and said, some poor brother in my church family is, 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 is suffering. Use this money to help them relieve their extremity. I think they just did life together. And it made perfect sense to write to Philemon, to write to his church because they were in on it together. If they're going to ex- accept Onesimus back, then they need to do it as a church family, not just as an individual. But of course Philemon is the primary individual that will need to forgive him. But the whole church will need to forgive him and accept him. And, uh, you know, I I just throw this out to you. I'm really encouraged as I come here and see the sense of community that you have. But sometimes I wander around and I think about, I think we've lost that sense of community that first century Christians have. It's kind of you and your small corner, me and mine, and we'll meet for an hour on Sunday and that's it. Don't you interfere in my life. I won't interfere in your life. But I think there was a greater sense of community, family, in the first century amongst early Christians. And when Paul writes, to the church, he writes not just to an individual but he mentions his husband, his wife and his son and his entire church family, because they need to be in on it, yes. they need to be in on it here's the second thing or, uh, then our uh, third thing in relation to the pleasantries and I think we will finish after this, but the greeting, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace comes first, did you notice that? grace has to come first You'll never experience God's peace until you encounter God's grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It cleanses from every sin. It's grace that takes away the element of fear and replaces it with a sense of acceptance and provision. These are things that we, that I am now a child of God. These are things that we receive not because we have earned them and not because we deserve them, but because God is gracious and generously gives them to us. And Paul's prayer is that they will experience God's grace in abundant measure and that they will also experience God's peace. Now, that could be, that prayer that they'll experience God's peace could God's peace could be a reference to just that sense of ease in, in, in knowing that your sins have been forgiven. Uh, that dread of meeting a holy God at the end of your life has been taken away because you know that someone else has paid for your sins. That sense of peace. But I actually think it's practical peace that Paul is talking about here. The peace that comes from knowing that you are God's child, that you are in his hand. That, 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 that his providence overarches your life. That his plans towards you are for good, not for evil. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. Just that sense of peace and knowing that I don't need to understand everything. Chaos in life might be difficult to understand. But ultimately I have a great sense of peace. That I am God's child. And that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that ultimately God watches over me. I think that's the peace that Paul is praying for this church, for this individual, for his family. That that he will have a deep-seated sense of peace in knowing that he is God's beloved child. 
I heard recently about a tragedy in, in Northern Ireland, a person that I know, wife lost her husband and five children lost their dad and it's heart wrenching and there's no simple answers. But it is possible to experience the, the peace of God in the middle of that horrendous pain. Remember that hymn, Newton's hymn, Through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Grace brings peace. And Paul prays for an abundance of both in Philemon's life. Maybe you don't know anything about this kind of peace. Maybe you're not a Christian. Um, You've never come as a sinner to Jesus and experienced God's forgiving grace. Well, you could this morning. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. Before you go out through this door this morning, you could know God personally, experience his peace, know his grace, and become his child. And your life would be radically changed forever. And you'd know some of these blessings that Paul is writing to Philemon about. How are we doing for time, Graham? I think we'll call it a day there, will we? Uh, It's five past twelve and we started at eleven. So we better stop, I think. We'll pick up next time with the person. Um, We'll speak a little bit um, about the person. What kind of person forgives? What, what, What does that look like? And we'll look a little bit at that the next time I come back. So, And I think it's helpful just to end there. And I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, every word of this book that you've given to us is precious to us. And as we stop, Lord, as we read and just stop and think about every word that is written, there's truth to be gleaned and unearthed and discovered and we thank you for the 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 truth that's that's here in in these verses and um we thank you lord for your grace and your peace and we thank you for family we thank you for christian brothers and sisters thank you for christian friends who love us and care for us and watch out for us help us lord to be this in someone else's life Marriage is here, Lord, and and, I have a sense that there's never been a time when uh, marriages have been so under the cosh, as it were. And just pray, Lord, that you'll strengthen marriages and and strengthen couples and help them to feed off each other. To go in in your direction, in in the right direction, in, in the direction of godliness and love and holiness and all of those wonderful, beautiful things in the Bible. Help couples to encourage each other in the right direction. And uh, bless the children that are here. We thank you for mention of Archippus, this young man in the family who was a great soldier, a great warrior of the faith. And we pray that our children will be strong. Some of us, Lord, have left children off at university uh, this week. And, and we fear for them and we pray for them. And we ask, Lord, that you'll strengthen them and help them as they endeavour to live for you in, in surroundings that are absolutely godless. Make them strong and help them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.